Hello and welcome to my new podcast, Jade Talks Stuff. In this podcast, unsurprisingly, I'm going to talk all sorts of stuff. Some of it might be cool stuff I've learnt, some of it might be things I've read about, there might be stuff about books, movies or music. Basically, anything and everything. I already produce a podcast called Travelosophy, which is about life lessons learnt from travel. And if you love travel, you'll adore it. But this podcast is for everything else. I have a wide range of interests, and I'm yet to meet anyone who has the full spectrum of interests as I do, from the arty to the occult to Fast and the Furious movies. But anyone who knows me knows one of my biggest fascinations has always been sharks. So today's first topic is why you shouldn't fear sharks. All information and facts have been gathered over many years, from books by Jacques Cousteau, Peter Benchley, National Geographic, the Discovery Channel, and where possible I've given references to where I've gotten facts from. But to me, much of it is like a second language. It's just stuff I know. I was inspired to create this new podcast because still, in 2018, 40 years after the release of Jaws, as soon as you mention Shark, the automatic reaction is fear, and many people automatically think, all sharks eat people. But it's simply not true. According to National Geographic, there was a recent article that popped up in Facebook, there are 520 species of sharks, 105 of which have been discovered in the last 10 years alone. You can bet there's still more out there that we have no idea about, considering more people have been to the moon than to the bottom of the ocean. Yet the negative encounters have only occurred with a small handful of shark species, less than 20. And with the release of upcoming shark movie The Meg, starring Ruby Rose and Jason Statham, which is about the resurgence of the extinct megalodon, you can be guaranteed that shark hysteria will once again shake our shores. What you may hear less about, though, but which is a far more important documentary, is a movie called Sharkwater Extinction, which provides an in-depth look at the illegal shark finning trade. It's currently in post-production and is due out later in 2018. In this podcast, you won't hear any Jaws-themed music, nor will there be any stories about how evil sharks are. Instead, you'll hear fascinating facts about why sharks are crucial to healthy ocean ecosystems and why they must be protected at all costs, along with my personal experiences diving with sharks of all sizes around the world. I should point out, I'm not a marine biologist. Although I wanted to be, my high school was right on a bay connected to Sydney Harbour and offered marine biology as an elective, but unfortunately, I was the only student interested in studying it, and so they canned it thus destroying my dreams of becoming a shark man. But ever since I was a kid, I've been fascinated by sharks, resulting in a ton of shark books each birthday or Christmas, and I've watched hundreds of shark documentaries over the years. What grabbed my initial interest of sharks is, on an evolutionary level, they're perfect. They haven't changed much over 400 million years, because they don't need to. They've been around since before dinosaurs, and they've adapted to a wide variety of ocean ecosystems, including fresh and salt water, and are found in every ocean on Earth. 
Even though there's dozens of shark documentaries on National Geographic and the Discovery Channel, there's still so much we don't know about sharks. For example, great whites mating has never been seen or caught on film. The ocean is a big place. And whilst it's speculated where it occurs based on tagged female sharks disappearing and then returning pregnant to a popular hangout, no human has witnessed it. So based on our knowledge of other sharks' mating habits, it's guessed how they procreate, but we might also be surprised. Likewise, the biggest shark, whale sharks, are migratory and travel great distances, but there's huge gaps in their habits because, again, it's not always possible to sight an animal for every second of its journey, especially one that can dive as deep as over 900 metres. Whilst there's been huge improvements in tagging devices and the information they provide, we still don't know everything, and tags aren't perfect, meaning they only last for so long. One of the main reasons why sharks are in decline is from overfishing, much of it illegal to supply the fin trade. A popular dish in Hong Kong and China being shark fin soup, which has no nutritional value, no taste, and does not use any other part of the shark apart from the fin. So, in order to fit more fins on the ship, only the fins are removed. The shark body is tossed overboard, usually while the shark is still alive, so they drown or bleed to death. Practices for this can decimate thousands of sharks at a time. Granted, there has been huge positive movements in recent years, like marine reserves created to protect sharks, as well as some restaurants taking shark fin soup off their menus, but it's still happening, and the longer it continues, the higher the chance sharks may not be able to come back, thus destroying ocean ecosystems beyond fixing. You also have the issue of sharks caught as bycatch, either by nets, where sharks are chasing fish and get caught up, or long line fishing, where a shark comes in for an easy meal and also gets hooked. But with deep sea fishing, deep dwelling sharks are slow to reproduce and are of little interest for food, which is problematic when they are caught as bycatch. Add to all this that, in general, sharks can be slow to reproduce, often birthing only one or two pups, and some sharks, like the frilled shark, have gestation periods that have been suggested by scientists to be up to three and a half years long, according to an article I read in National Geographic. The reason why sharks are important to ocean ecosystems is they keep other creatures in check so they don't overpopulate. Since sharks are disappearing from our oceans, populations of other species like octopus and rays grow significantly, which then affects other populations because what do octopus eat? Mostly crabs. And if the crabs are overeaten by octopuses, then that affects other industries and so it goes down the line. Large sharks, like great whites, primarily eat seals and fish like tuna, whilst reef sharks eat primarily fish and crustaceans. Hammerheads eat mostly fish, squid, octopus, crustaceans and stingrays. So imagine how much of each of those a shark might eat in a day, then a week and a month. And if those sharks aren't there, how much extra of that prey will be around? And regardless of the species, if you take any creature out of a food chain, it's going to impact the entire ecosystem. There was a story written by Peter Benchley featured in his book Shark Life, which you can find on his website, peterbenchley.com, which perfectly captures what happens to an ecosystem when sharks are removed. It's not just fish. Bigger sharks also eat smaller sharks, so great whites will ensure other shark populations don't overpopulate. Like when wolves were removed from forests in America and entire forest ecosystems were destroyed. 
Nature has a way of keeping things in check, and if you remove part of that, you destroy the whole thing. However, when protected, they can come back. In the Pacific Islands, where France conducted nuclear bomb testing in the 60s and 70s, entire reefs were completely destroyed. It was a wasteland. No fish, no coral. However, because these same reefs were then left alone for decades, and no fishing boats went there, because they knew there was no fish, slowly the reefs have made a comeback. And as a result, there has been a population of reef sharks that have found a haven and repopulated. There was a Shark Week documentary about this on Discovery Channel, if you want to track it down. So, as long as sharks are protected, and there are still some left to repopulate, they can come back, which is a good thing. But it's not just about protecting ocean ecosystems. The more knowledge you have about sharks, the more you'll realise there's little to fear. Besides, not all sharks are meat eaters, and no shark chooses to eat people as its primary food source. Yes, you heard me. The bigger shark, the whale shark, eats only plankton, which are microscopic shrimp-like sea bugs. A whale shark has tiny, 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 tiny teeth. And again, according to scientists, as reported by National Geographic, the bonnethead shark, which is a variety of hammerhead, has also been recorded eating seagrass. Yes, there is such a thing as an omnivorous shark. The Greenland shark, which is found, unsurprisingly, in the cold waters of the North Atlantic near Greenland, is incredibly slow-growing and long-living. One recent specimen tagged was found to be 272 years old, and it's estimated they could get up to 500 years old. Imagine what we could learn from a shark that lives for hundreds of years, and what could be accomplished in life in that time. I've dived and snorkeled with white-tipped reef sharks in Niue, black and white-tipped reef lemon and tawny nurse sharks at the Great Barrier Reef, whale sharks in the Philippines, and hammerheads, guitar sharks, zebra sharks, and nurse sharks in Dubai. And not once did I ever feel the slightest fear that this shark was remotely interested in eating me. Not for a second. Most of the time, whenever I got close, they swam away. When I was snorkeling with whale sharks, one of them was slowly swimming toward me. They have huge mouths, and it looks like they're smiling. This particular shark would have been at least 12 to 15 metres long and at least 5 or 6 metres wide, including its fins. And it knew I was there, and before it got close, it turned and swam beside me. It wasn't the slightest bit interested in me. All it wanted was to keep eating plankton. Likewise, when I was staying on Green Island at the Great Barrier Reef, it's a beautiful five-star eco-resort, and it's popular for day-trippers. But at night, they all catch the boat back to Cairns. So whoever is staying on the island, that's all there is. The first night we were there, I was there with an American friend of mine, Jen. There was like two other couples, and they went back to their room. So we were sitting on the beach at sunset, and it was just us. It was like we had the entire island to ourselves. And the water was so clear, you could see everything. And I remember there was two grey shapes in the water, which at first I thought were stingrays. But they popped their heads up. And it was two green turtles swimming past who just came to check out what was happening. On the north of the island, it's not very big, you can walk there easily. Standing on the shore, you could see tawny nurse sharks. These were tiny, like less than a metre or under three foot long, with tiny teeth designed for crushing crabs, trawling along the shore. So we grabbed our snorkeling gear and jumped in. And for about 40 minutes, we went up and down the shore, but we didn't see a single shark, so we got out. Then I took my fin off and started slapping it on the water. And Jen was like, what are you doing? 
And I was like, I'm doing my dying fish impersonation. And with that, within about 30 seconds, about 10 metres from shore, a fin popped up. Then another, then another, then another fin. In total, there was like 10 sharks and a turtle that was like, hey, what's going on over there, eh? It turned out the sharks knew we were there and they were keeping their distance. They didn't really want to be harassed or bothered. They were literally waiting for us to go so they could go back to looking for crabs and fish. As soon as we stood away from shore, you could see them reappear swimming up and down the coast. When I was diving in Niue, there was a resident white-tipped reef shark that hung about and could be seen most days. And usually it was sleeping on the bottom. And I was so excited to see a shark, because it is actually pretty rare to see a shark when you're diving. And I was swimming closer to try and get a better photo, and as soon as I got within about 10 metres, it jumped up and swam away. When I was snorkelling in New Caledonia, it was early morning, and I was the only one in the water, and I saw a police bike tear down the street and stop where I was. And then the policeman was waving his arms, and my immediate thought was, oh no, have I broken some law? But it turned out there had been two tiger sharks spotted in the area, and so they had closed all beaches. Ironically, my first thought was, wow, an opportunity to snorkel with tiger sharks. But unfortunately, the police wouldn't let me. So, why are there negative encounters between sharks and humans? The best way to imagine a shark is like a baby. Babies are curious. And when they want to know if something is edible or not, they generally put an object in their mouth, have a suck or a chew, and then throw it away. A shark doesn't have hands, only fins, which are only good for steering. They may have incredible sensors that can pick up electrical impulses in the water like a heartbeat, but often in the case of a whale carcass floating on the surface, a shark will take a bite first to make sure it's worth eating. And if it is, it'll come back for seconds. Humans are bony, with little meat or blubber, which is high energy food for a shark, compared to a whale or a seal. So a shark will not seek out a human as a preferred meal. If they come across something in the ocean that looks like a seal, they might be like, hmm, I'll just take a little nibble, see if it is. If it's not a seal, they'll continue on their merry way. I don't think there's ever been a single case of a shark actually eating a person, as in consuming them, coming back for seconds and thirds. Usually, if there is an encounter and they're curious, they'll take a test bite, spit it out and continue on. But obviously, the problem is when you have a big mouth full of teeth like a great white or a tiger shark, a little nibble from a shark to a human can be catastrophic. But Knowing about different species and their habits and steering clear of sharks when they're known to be hunting, whilst knowing that humans aren't sharks' preferred source of food, and also knowing that not all sharks eat meat, most prefer fish, can ultimately help reduce the fear-mongering and anti-shark sentiment that has existed in recent years. Having personally dived and snorkeled with a variety of sharks, and at no time did I ever feel threatened, it's time to ban the anti-shark sentiment overcome our fears, and respect and learn about the ocean and its inhabitants, because there's so much we still don't know about the ocean. It's this lack of knowledge and awareness, because we can't easily see beneath the surface, that has allowed plastic pollution to reach staggering levels. You only ever hear about the cute creatures like turtles affected by humans, but sharks need our help and protection now more than ever. If you haven't been snorkeling, I recommend it. Having close encounters with marine life, you'll see that they're not out to get us. If they feel threatened, they may retaliate, like any creature on Earth, including humans. But sharks are not the enemy. People are. If you don't live near the ocean, head to an aquarium, many of which offer close encounters where you can get in the water and try diving. Before I finish up, here's a bunch of interesting shark facts that might come in handy in a pub quiz. Shark fact number one. Most sharks produce live pups. But some, like the wobbegong shark, which is a type of carpet shark, 
common around Australia, lays eggs, which look like leathery seaweed. Also, tiger sharks have two uteruses, so they can produce multiple pups from each. Shark fact number two. Great whites have never been kept in captivity. They're designed for open ocean. Shark fact number three. A group of sharks is called a shiver of sharks. Shark fact number four. Orcas have been witnessed in New Zealand killing and eating great white sharks by slapping them with their tail to stun them and then biting them in half. Shark fact number five. Through tagging, it's been discovered that great white shark populations don't mingle. For example, there's a population in the Chatham Islands off New Zealand who never breed or hang out with their counterparts in Stewart Island off the bottom of the South Island of New Zealand. They keep totally separate. Shark fact. Number six, tagged great whites in South Africa have been tracked migrating across to Western Australia. And it was more often these sharks that had negative encounters with swimmers in WA, not the local great white shark population. Shark fact number seven, tiger sharks have stripes, hence the name. Shark fact number eight, many sharks travel great distances timed with feeding events and use landmarks like underwater volcanoes and ridgelines to navigate. One mako shark, I think it was, was tracked from New Zealand, travelling all the way up to Fiji, and then back again. Shark fact number nine. Meanwhile, hammerhead sharks, and there's not just one hammerhead shark, there's a whole bunch of subspecies, but it's been suggested they use the Earth's magnetic poles for navigation as they migrate large distances. Shark fact number 10. There's a great white shark nursery off the southern coast of Western Australia, near Albany, and the Neptune Islands of South Australia is another known great white shark hangout. Shark fact number 11. Studies of the great white population off the Farallon Islands near San Francisco by Susan Casey and published in her book Devil's Teeth, which I highly recommend, revealed each shark has a unique personality. Some are more docile, some are more submissive. Young males tend to act like teenagers, bullying and showing off, but it's always the large females that dominate any situation, and any young males will make themselves sparse if a dominant female shows up. Shark fact number 12. The nose of a shark is super sensitive, and it's called the ampullae of Lorenzini and it contains a bunch of nerve endings designed to pick up electrical impulses in the water. And whilst it's not recommended to try this, I have seen it happen on Discovery Channel documentaries though, if you rub or tickle a shark's snout, they sort of go into a lull, and in that moment you can turn them over. And when upside down, sharks go into a state of tonic immobility. So basically they lie totally still. Have a look at the Discovery Channel website to track down that video. Shark fact number 13. Sharks inhabit a variety of ocean ecosystems. And as mentioned, some species like the bull shark have adapted to swim from saltwater up a river into freshwater. There was one bull shark that was tracked 2,000 miles, maybe 2,000 kilometers up river. So that's quite a long way inland. Other shark species have also adapted for extreme environments. Inside an underwater volcano with high temperatures, a shiver of hammerhead sharks was found just swimming around. Shark fact number 14. Only great whites in South Africa breach when attacking seals. No other great whites have been seen to do this. Shark fact number 15. There's identifiable social hierarchies in the shark world, with large females the most dominant and smaller juvenile males at the bottom when it comes to feeding. Shark fact number 16. According to Discovery Channel, 
Poor beagle sharks have been spotted throwing a bunch of seaweed around, supposedly for fun. Shark fact number 17. And this was a documentary I saw recently. Might have been part of Shark Week. Sharks can be taught. A couple of lemon shark pups were able to be taught when they bumped their nose against pattern buttons in a tank. They were rewarded with food. And they soon learned to associate a particular pattern with food. So the first shark they did this experiment with took nearly two weeks to make the association between the pattern and receiving food. But when they introduced a second shark into this mix, the second shark learnt within a day and the first day was spent watching the first shark and so it learnt to associate that when you bump your nose against this pattern, you receive food, which is absolutely fascinating and has many other implications for shark habits in the wild. Shark fact number 18. Some shark species are roaming, known as pelagic, and lead more solitary lives in open ocean while others are more social, hanging out in shivers in reefs. Shark fact number 19. Shark skin is rough, which allows it to grip the water, which helps make sharks more efficient swimmers. Shark fact number 20. There's a much higher chance of dying by having a coconut fall on your head than having a negative encounter with a shark. Likewise, according to National Geographic, more people die from cows than sharks. And the most dangerous creature of all is the mosquito, which kills millions of people every year. Shark fact number 21. Before a shark, like a great white, goes in for a bite, they will lower their fins, arch their back and open their mouth, signalling their intent. Likewise, a great white, when hunting, will always surprise attack, either from behind or below. So maintaining eye contact will lessen the chance of a shark taking a test nibble if you have an encounter. Shark fact number 22. Research on Discovery Channel has shown that sharks hate the scent of a dead shark and the odour will make them scatter. Likewise, there's a surfing contraption made that emits a low electrical impulse which annoys the shark enough so it swims elsewhere but not enough to harm the shark. Shark fact number 23. Lastly, only a handful of sharks have had negative encounters with humans, so please don't wipe off all sharks, because the majority are just going about their daily business, swimming about, and for every negative encounter with a shark, humans kill 2 million sharks, which is completely unjustified. So, what can you do to protect sharks? Don't eat at restaurants that serve shark fin soup for a start, and let them know. Also, pressuring governments to set up marine reserves to protect shark habitats and to ensure future growth. Also, pressuring industry worldwide to implement more sustainable fishing practices rather than long line or deep net fishing, which can help reduce catches of sharks accidentally. I know this has improved in some regions, but the trouble with the ocean is not every country has the same principles or rules. If you'd like more information about sharks, I'd highly recommend seeking out the following books. Devil's Teeth by Susan Casey, which is a study of great whites close to San Francisco. Sharks, Silent Hunters of the Deep by Reader's Digest. It's an old book because I had it when I was a kid and some of the information might have changed. But it's packed full of shark stats about different species. And a really beautiful fiction story is The Girl from the Sea of Cortez by Peter Benchley. It's a story about the relationship between a girl and a manta ray in Mexico. Peter Benchley, as I mentioned, has written a factual book called Shark Life 
which has an easy-to-read story about how losing sharks will destroy ocean ecosystems. Ron and Valerie Taylor are early divers who worked on the set of Jaws, and they too released a shark book, as did Jacques. Also, Rodney Fox was a famous survivor of a great white bite, and I know he's written a few books including Shark Man and Sharks, The Sea and Me. And whilst I'm yet to read his books, I know that he's a staunch shark advocate and protector. He also runs shark cage diving tours in South Australia. If you're buying books from the Book Depository, if you head to my website, jadejackson.com.au, there's a number of links throughout my site, including the front page. And every purchase from the Book Depository link from my website helps contribute to keeping this podcast and my website going at no further cost to you. So thank you in advance. And of course, don't forget to track down documentaries like Sharkwater and Sharkwater Extinction when it's released. One of the most important things I've learned is simply having knowledge about sharks and their habits helps reduce the overall fear factor. So, respect the ocean, know that not everything in the ocean is out to get us, but also realise that the ocean is a shark habitat. So avoiding it at key times like dawn and dusk and night, which is when they typically hunt, and avoiding risky activities like spearfishing, which attracts an easy meal for a shark, and not swimming around baitfish or near fishing boats, especially if there is blood in the water, and avoiding river mouths, which can attract baitfish, which of course attracts sharks. Also, not wearing high-contrast clothing in the water or shiny jewellery, which can resemble fish scales. All of these are easy things you can do to ensure you don't have a negative experience with sharks. So, thank you very much for listening to Jade Talk Stuff. I hope you've learned something you can take away from this podcast episode and have a newfound respect for sharks. If you love travel, then please check out my other podcast, Travelosophy, which is about life lessons learnt from travel. And if you would like exclusive content like ad-free blog posts, additional podcast episodes, recordings of my poetry or copies of my travel photos, then head to patreon.com forward slash Jade Jackson to join the community and get access to exclusive stuff. Also, be sure to check out my website, jadejackson.com.au, or you can tweet me at jadekinsjackson. Thank you so much for listening to Jade Talk Stuff. Bye-bye now.